We are changing the global conversation on emotional health and self-love. Our feelings are just feedback, and that feedback is constantly giving us valuable insights as to what still needs to be healed. It is that simple, and it is that complicated. When you continuously follow your passion and do what brings you joy, adding more pleasure and fun to your life, you can't go wrong. You can't fail. I pinky swear that to be true. Welcome to How to Be a Human with Lise Wilcox. I love this conversation. Hello, and welcome back to How to Be a Human, the podcast with Lise Wilcox. I am so happy to be joined by my new friend, Joe Encarnacion from California. Joe, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. What's your current title, sexual health wellness educator? I don't fucking know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's funny. I was thinking about that this morning, actually. I was laying in bed and I was like, how the hell do I introduce myself? Mm -hmm. Because I'm in this you know, the, the biggest upheaval and transition in my life. And I'm, and, and every single time I think about it, I'm like, I am a woman in progress. Yes. Like I, yes. I don't know there's a progress bar, but mm-hmm. if, if, if we think about what I do mm-hmm. and if I think about like the, the doing aspect of my life mm-hmm. and, and my human being aspect, it's like, I'm a sexual wellness coach, Yes, you know? Yeah. But in terms of my being, I'm a woman in progress. I used to introduce myself as a professional human and real life adult because I'm like Mm. that. That's the most accurate title for me. It's like I understand (laughs) the human experience. I'm living the human experience. Can we please just call me a professional human? And as you know, you and I talked about SEO does not like that. (laughs) Like it really (laughs) wants you to niche down and choose a very, very specific focus. Which like part of me is like, can we just blow up the bullshit about the whole SEO thing? Like. It, it, I, you know, it's it's funny. I think about just how much I've constantly tried to uh, remove myself from boxes or labeling, yeah. and it's like this whole online coaching thing just like traps us in this box because we have yes. to have SEO. And you're like, Ugh. oh, well, what's your program? It's like I don't have a program. People can hire me to work with me one on one. Oh, so you don't do one off sessions? No, I don't. So is it a program? No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, I just do my own thing. And my marketing plan, I hate saying this out loud, but like my marketing plan is that I just trust that the right people find me at the right time and we we go from there. Yeah, yeah. I love love hearing that because that that was my marketing plan for years. Mm -hmm. And then I got into this mode where like, I've got to put some fucking structure and then the structure got put in and it was like, my whole being was like, fuck this structure. Yeah, Yeah. it's hard, isn't it? When you're so intuitively led, kind of going back in to check all the boxes. It's like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Feels weird. (laughs) So being a woman in progress, yes, you run a business. Yes, you're an active influencer online on Instagram for some pretty mega brands, Mm -hmm. like some pretty mega brands. And you're also going through, I mean, what's what's like a nonchalant way of saying this? You're going through the trauma of divorce. And Uh. frankly, you are an Asian, a woman, American. Mm -hmm in an Asian American woman. I think I just like butchered that Asian American woman in 2021, which is like its own category of, of, of layers of pain and trauma. It really (laughs) is. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting, uh, unraveling. Yeah. And it's been an unraveling, I think for me since like 20, probably 2015, 2016, but the deep unraveling was like 2017, 2018. Okay. The deepest unraveling. I want to start there if you're comfortable. Yeah. And first, mm-hmm. I want to pre-frame this for, especially for you and for people listening that like, by no means am I doing the white thing of like, please speak to us on behalf of all Asian American women. <laughs> like I'm not, I really, I'm so interested in your experience because you're so good at sharing your experience. And I think it's, a really beautiful lens, but please don't feel like I'm making you a token or a poster child of like the capital Asian American experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Because you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting when, when people introduce me or when they say things like you're an Asian American woman, I always like, like to say, actually, I'm, I'm a woman who happens to be yes. Filipino American. Yes. Yes. 
because I am woman first and all of those labels come second. Often they're also part of my identity. When people um, on podcasts or interviews have introduced me like first and foremost as a cancer survivor, I feel it viscerally because I'm like, Mm -hmm. have we met? Like, do you know I am so much more than a cancer survivor? Like that doesn't even resonate for me. So I'm also just I want to just be very tender with like, in no way are you being asked to represent like a nation or like, I just really want to know your experience. It happens to be compounded (laughs) under the lens of friggin'. Yeah. And I appreciate that because, you know, it's really funny. I, I don't think I came home to that identity until roughly about 2018. So what happened? I always, I always ran away from being Filipino American. Okay. Um, and it was because growing up, I remember I, I'm first generation Filipino American. Mm-hmm. So my parents are immigrants and I was the first daughter born here in the U S in my family. I have two older siblings. They happen to be eight and 10 years older than me, my mm-hmm. brother and sister and, uh, growing up Filipino American and also daughter of immigrants mm-hmm. with my parents who are just so very immigrant in the way that they do everything. Mm -hmm. It was always really challenging because we just butt heads. I I didn't see the way they saw the world. Mm -hmm. I was like looking at it from a different lens. I always say that I I believe I'm raised third culture, meaning that um, my parents are trying to infuse one culture in me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build another one. And then here's another influence, which is like Western culture, my friends, everybody around me. So like there's a third culture, like intersection of all of these different mismatches of my culture, right? And so growing up, I would always see the way traditional Filipino Catholics would Mm -hmm. be like. And I just was like, all of this is bullshit. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. all of this teaching, all of the the things that they were trying to infuse in me, the fact that there was so much colorism. Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up, my parents wanted to bleach my skin. Mm -hmm. They wanted to pinch my nose because it was not as American. Um, they always called me in from, from being outside in the sun. And, and I knew, I knew later, like in 2018, mm-hmm. I realized that this was not Filipino Catholic. This was Filipino colonial. Oh, like this wow. is colonized mentality, right? Yes. Like what they were instilling in me. And it was like, no wonder why growing up throughout my entire childhood, all the way to when I moved out, I resisted all of that. No kidding. Cause it just was like, why is this, why are you taking away so much of our rich culture? Like I'm mm-hmm. a brown girl, yeah. <laughs> like a brown girl, you know? Yeah. And it was even funnier but because I learned later that Filipinos like are children of the sun. Mm-hmm. And so when my parents would call me in from like being out because they're like, God, you smell like the sun. I'm like, we are children of the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we are children of the sun. That's why there's a sun in our flag. Like mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. just part of that as far as like who we are. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, I ran from all of that and, and coming back home in 2018 for me happened when I was interviewed for a Filipino American, um, like just docu-series that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was with me and my girlfriend, Andrew Barika, and we were at the time talking about just sex openly. This was a time where I was like, you know what? My daughter is now 15 years old. I'm a sexual trauma survivor. Mm. I've walked through so much shit over my life. I've dealt with like suicide attempt when I was younger. I Mm. have complex trauma written in my body. How do I as a mother equip my daughter to not only learn from my Mm -hmm. pain, but also what is the education I want her to have Mm. that I didn't have Mm -hmm. so that she didn't have to walk through that same pain that I did or confusion? Which you know, to come out of therapy, if you have that person to bear witness to your experience, if that experience, no matter how traumatic can be seen and witnessed by another compassionate person, it already lessens the trauma of that experience. Mm -hmm. So to be able to take that and use it purposefully as a gift to your daughter is really, really commendable. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I remember she came home. So like my, my sexual awakening, I guess, as an adult woman, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it had variations of it, like all sexuality does. You mm-hmm. awaken and rise at different occasions in your life. But the biggest one for me was around 2017, 2018. And it was when my eldest daughter came home with homework from her health class. And it was like on sexual wellness. 
And I had been wanting to like dive into this topic for years already because I just, I mean, I've always been curious about sex. I was mm-hmm. always confused about it. I wanted to learn more about it. But I always felt also as a mother that there is like that social conditioning and then also cultural conditioning as Filipinos. Like yeah. you don't talk about sex and also that whole purity culture about moms. Oh, like I know. It's so weird. Ugh. It's I so know. weird. It's like you, as a mom, you have to choose to be either a mom or sexual. And it's like, wait, how the hell did I have kids? It's like, you guys know how I got pregnant, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know how I you, became a mom, right? You, like, <laughs> like you literally insert A into B. <laughs> like there's, and there's no, there's no getting around that. There was intercourse involved <laughs> and there was also ejaculation <laughs> and there was a conception. Like, let's like go through the whole science thing, you know? But as soon as you have a baby, don't worry, you're not supposed to feel that anymore. And if you do, then it means something about you. But if you're not actually active as in sex as a mom, it means something else about you. It's, it's like, it's, it's so much. It's, it's so, so much. much. It's so much. Yeah. So she came home with this homework and, um, I was like, fuck yes. Like in me, I like lit up. Cause I was like, I get to bust the gates open now yeah. about really getting curious about sex, having conversations in my home around sex. Cause that was not what we had growing yes. up at all, of course. And I just wanted her and my kid, but both my girls yeah. to have a different upbringing around yeah. that topic and that conversation because sex love relationships were mm-hmm. never talked about. And I never got to see the love that I, I, I feel deeply that I know is is available in this world mm-hmm. and the type of relationships that I wanted and the type of sex that I wanted mm-hmm. and that type of interaction in, in like a conscious and like beautiful, like loving, real relationship, mm-hmm. I never got to see growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, for me, I was like, this is what I want to give my kids. Like, I want to give them that thing. Mm-hmm. And um, her homework had stuff around dating, consent, mm-hmm. uh, different sexual identities, um, and different, just, it talked about dating apps also. I mean, I was like, <gasps> this is amazing. That's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And so at that time, I was like, great, this is going to be a beautiful opportunity for her and I to learn mm-hmm. and have dialogue on something completely different. And it was in such beautiful alignment because for me at the time, the awakening of like, why can't moms talk about sex, like happen internally? Yeah. And I remember being around a bunch of girlfriends trying to talk about sex and love and relationships with them at the time. And they were all moms. Mm -hmm. And about like one of them, all but one of them were open to talking about sex. Yeah. And here I am and I'm like, we're all moms. Yeah. And our kids are going to cross this barrier. Yeah. And we need to be comfortable with it. Yeah. Because I don't want to be like my mom. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have that discomfort of not being able to talk about sex, love, relationships, the hard shit in life. I didn't want to hide those things. So yeah, that's kind of where like that whole thing began in terms of just blowing the gates open and talking about sexuality, then pivoting my business into being a sexual wellness coach. Right on. And it was all because of that homework assignment? It was all because of the homework assignment. But then, you know, talking about just, then, then I just started talking about it publicly. And then, you know, back to that story of the, um, video interview, Mm -hmm. I, it was for Filipino community. And at that time, a lot of my followers were like, thank you for doing what you do as a Filipino American woman. Right on. Thank you for talking about the things that like our moms never talked about. And I just, I was like, I've resisted coming home to my Mm. community for my entire lifetime because I was also told by my community how different I was, how I didn't want to conform how rebellious I was against everything. And I was like, I don't, like, there's just something in me right now that's telling me none of this of what you guys are telling me of how to live my life is right. This is so interesting to me because as a conscious relationship coach, I am so fascinated and captivated by the human experience. And one of the, like the the foundational takeaways is while we are each having our very unique experience and interaction with this world, the emotional experience that we're having is, is virtually identical. Like that is to say, we all have the same feelings. And one of those feelings profoundly is that we feel like we're having our feelings in isolation, which then like begets shame and more isolation and self-judgment. And it's through these kinds of conversations and the work that you do, the work that I do, that we like, we start to just open the door and we let people in to be like, oh, you have felt this feeling? 
I too have felt this feeling because I am human. Mm-hmm. And one of the really interesting things that I'm hearing in this is that there was such an absence of belonging or like a feeling of the absence mm-hmm. of belonging, the absence of belonging slash the deep need to belong is a profoundly human thing. So if I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, like as a, like an upper middle class, tall, kind of pretty white woman, if I feel that I don't belong from time to time, like juxtaposing on, holy shit, what do we do when the cultural messaging here is now telling you one thing? And another kind of cultural messaging is telling you one thing. And like you feel, you know, you identified as feeling like third gen, um, how did you say third culture? Third culture. Mm-hmm. What does that do to your sense of belonging and like ability to be in the world? Oh my God, I felt so alone. Yeah. I mean, growing up, it was it was hard. I remember there are moments in high school when I would try to talk to girlfriends or friends, actually, yeah. about just the experience I was having at home because my parents and my brother and sister, so again, like they're eight and 10 years older than me, so mm-hmm. they're far older than me. And in the Philippines, when you have older siblings, it's kind of like you have them as second, second parents. Yes. Like they're your other set of parents, right? And so because my parents worked a lot, and so did my brother and sister because they're much older. Um, I mean, it was great because I sort of had some some siblings. The the other thing is too. Let me just like back that story yeah. up really quickly. I didn't meet my brother and sister until I was ten and twelve years old, because wow. they were still in the Philippines and they didn't get their citizenship right. So wow. they had to get like a visa and all that other stuff and and work their way really hard to like move out here. Did they live Whereas with I, grandparents? I got my citizenship because I was born here. Wow. Did they live with your grandparents or like family? They were living with, um, I think they were separated. So my brother lived with uh, like a great aunt. Okay. And then my sister lived with like my mom's side. So my brother lived with my dad's side. My my sister lived with my mom's side. Wow. I still don't know that story. Yeah. Like I don't know why they were separated. Yeah. I don't know why they, they I have no idea. My mom honestly doesn't open up to it. Ah. Uh. Um, and I think it's because there is so much shame around that. Yeah. Right. And I see that too with my mom, cause she was the only, only child out of nine who made it over to oh, America. Man. So she even, she's even alone. Man. So like, there's just so much of that, you know, and I, and I see her human experience and part of me is like, just, just open up just a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe one day and who knows, but there was so much, um, corporal punishment in my house. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of domestic violence because they were, you know, disciplining me through physically mm-hmm. and they were disciplining me because all I, I mean, all I was doing was just speaking up for myself. Yeah. I was just telling my truth. I was expressing how I felt. I, I was talking about my discontent about things. I, I never did drugs when I was growing mm-hmm. up. Um, I, I ran away a couple of times, but I mean, like most kids kind of like sneak <laughs> out of their house. You know what I mean? Um, but like I got decent grades. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like straight A's, but Mm -hmm. I got decent grades. I didn't want to become a doctor or a nurse Mm -hmm. or an engineer. I want to become an artist. Um, And so to them, this was like, holy shit, this girl is out of line. We need to beat her back into submission. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And that was for about, you know, four, four or five years of my upbringing. Wow. It was hard. Um, and I remember wanting to share that with friends, just the experience, just to be able to talk about it and also like not get my family in trouble because Mm -hmm. I, I knew that like, this was their form of discipline. They didn't Mm -hmm. know any better. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any other tools. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was so hard to, I remember like, I remember one time hiding bruises on Mm -hmm. my legs from like PE class because I didn't Mm -hmm. want anybody to see the belt welts. Mm -hmm. I, and, and, you know, like they didn't beat me to the point, well, there were some moments, <laughs> but like they weren't like beating me because they were drunk. Yeah. You know, they weren't beating me because they were, you know, out of control in that way. I mean, there was quote unquote reason to yeah. like discipline me and that was their only form of discipline. Yeah. So I remember feeling really, really alone in that because trying to explain that to your white friends, they would immediately say, get the fuck out of there. Well, and I was going to say, you know, zooming out a little bit, now you don't really feel like you can belong at home because when you try to be you and speak your truth at home, you're punished. So then when you are like trying to find belonging in your peer group and you're trying to speak your truth about what's happening at home, you don't really belong there. So it's like mask, 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 bury, bury, bury. That's mm-hmm. very isolating. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the, this one time I, you know, I, I ran away cause I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. I ran away and I ran away to my ex or my, my ex-boyfriend's house, the ex now, mm-hmm. um, my boyfriend's house at the time. And that was when I was raped at 15. Oh, Joe. And so that was really hard because here's the one person I thought I could really trust oh, yeah. and like, you know, like be myself in and share all these things because he also understood what was going on. And I walked into a situation that was not safe for me. I mm-hmm. mean, I thought it was just going to be me and him and just us hanging out and it was a party and I was like, oh, fuck, like this is already like bad news yeah. here. One thing led to another and went home, I think a night later and I just was like, how do I go home? Oh, man. I just left violence, stepped into another violence. And how do I go home to this? Yeah. And what do I say? Yeah. Because in their eyes, I deserve that. I put myself in that situation. So, like, I actually didn't tell my parents about that until maybe four years ago. Wow. And six months later, the feeling of loneliness and depression and feeling just so sad led me to my suicide attempt. I was going to say there couldn't have been much of a gap between a suicide attempt there because that is like, okay, I'm going to check out of this. Right. And and I'm not like idealizing suicide by any means, but it's like, oh, it's not safe here. So when I take action, I create safety here. That's not safe. And then I take action again to create more safety. And that's really not safe. Mm -hmm. Fuck it. I'm over it. I'm not playing anymore. I mean, I wasn't even safe at school because when I ran away, um, everybody knew. My parents went to school and uh, was asking around for me. Nobody knew because my boyfriend did not live. My boyfriend at the time did not live in my city. So I took a bus two and a half hours away to go see him. When I came back to school, I had photos of me inside the trash can. I was so embarrassed. What? Photos, because my parents were passing flyers. Like, have you seen our daughter? We haven't seen her. We don't know where she is. She has no cell phone. Like, we don't know where she's at. Oh, man. And the embarrassment also of just like, oh, fuck. Everybody knows there's drama at home. And like, I was gone. And now I have the whole school, like, asking me questions. And you were 15? I was 15. How did you, like, how did you come through that? Thankfully, I mean, you know, I, when I attempted suicide, my dad found me in the bathroom and rushed me to the hospital because they didn't know what the fuck happened. You know, I just was on the floor on my, in my vomit, Um, woke up to a tube down my throat and was in intense therapy. Mm -hmm immediately after mm-hmm. because I like woke up and you know obviously I tried to take my life and mm-hmm. so I woke up with a tube in my throat and then of course handcuffed to the bed I mean talk about oh. waking up in a traumatic experience come also. on and this like, is like when when does this get to be a fair experience for you or like oh my god I just I'm just I know we're like coast to coast right now but I'm just gonna quickly put my arms around you and like press you into my body this is that is more than anyone should ever ever have to experience sweet yeah, peace. it's funny because I'm 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 like flashing back to those moments and I can I remember seeing it and I was so scared too because like my parents weren't around they were at work yes and I woke up to like a police officer oh man outside of my door and I just was like fuck what did I do yeah and where am I and yeah. what happened and, and I didn't do anything wrong anyone you didn't do anything wrong. No, I know, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're a child. I know. You're scared. And so fuck, dude, with the saving grace of that moment, like I experienced therapy mm-hmm. twice a week for about four years. Yeah. One was solo. Yeah. The other was supposed to be with my family. But because, you know, Asian Americans don't yeah. talk about emotional health, mental yeah. health, any of that stuff. And being my Filipino Catholic parents, yes. they believed in praying over the entire situation. Yes. So um, they refused to be there during most of the therapy sessions when wow. it was supposed to be the three of us. Wow. They would wait outside. Um, and I was just, you know, I remember being there and like hoping mm-hmm. that my mom would like come in mm-hmm. and, and sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And so the like... The 
differentiating myself from my family's experience and my family of origin and my parents and all that stuff started really young. Yeah, no kidding. And it was great because in some way, like had I not had that experience, I would still feel so alone Mm -hmm. because at 16 through like 19, Mm -hmm. 20 years old, through all that therapy, that's when I really was able to find myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just like, know that despite feeling so alone in the world, Mm -hmm. I at least still had me. Mm -hmm. How do I say this? I am in no way being like, well, thank God that happened to you. (laughs) You know, like I I don't mean that like that, that shouldn't have happened to you. And it says so much about your character, your soul, your spirit, like your tenacity to be able to, as a teenager, when you were like not even fully cooked yet, like as a teenager, to be able to use that experience in that transformational way and to really be like, okay, here's who I am. Nobody does that as a teenager, right? Like we do that in our now 30s, 40s, 50s. So I love that you were able to go purposefully with it And I just respect so much being able to be in the uh, recognition of that trauma. And then like, you know, we've got this point over here, this point over here and where they converge is now the work that you're doing in your community, with your family, with the people that you support to really give them that, um, empowered doesn't even cut it, but like really coming at it from a much more embodied and empowered place of service. Yeah. Who the hell are you? Like you're some kind of angel that is like doing God's work. It's what it's, it's crazy. Cause I remember, you know, after finally feeling like I was coming out of just the darkness and in my teens, um, I got into like a creative writing class in, in high school. Right on. And, um, that's when, you know, my, my thought of like, you know, I just, I I just want to help other people in this situation. I want to help people. I want to help people. I want to help bring people out of their darkness. Yeah. Cause I fucking came out of darkness (sighs) and I like rose from so much of it. And so, um, it's funny to, to now look back and at history and, Mm -hmm. and, and I, and I know this deep within me, I know that like my story is what's going to help heal so many people. And I've always known that about my life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I trudged through the shit mm-hmm. knowing that deep within. And that like centers me so much, mm-hmm. even in those moments where I'm like, I am, life has brought me to my knees. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think one of the things that I really like, I, I, I personally really love and admire about myself mm-hmm. is the willingness to like roll up my sleeves and get dirty with that mud. Yeah. And to figure out all the shadows and the intricacies and the whys and to just make sense of it, not only for myself, but so that when I do coach or when I do teach or when I do speak, it's like I'm literally coming from a really lived experience here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's, I call it earned and learned, (laughs) you know, that like wisdom that you only get by going through something. Um, Man, I was going to say too. Oh, there's so much I want to say. Um, this is like the peril of the light worker's journey, right? It's like, I am so, you know, we talked about this. Like when people are like, you're so strong. It's like, fuck you. I just like, can I please not, can I please not be strong? And you did that beautiful post on Instagram and I know you tagged me and it was like, it's okay for you to fall apart. Cause I'm over here. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> like what if I can't put myself back together? When people are like, you're so strong. It, the, the default answer from like the strongest, we're all like, fuck you. I didn't ask for this. Like, thanks. But I, what was my choice to not be strong? And I feel like, again, it's such a, it's like a blessing and a curse. That's, that's the ultimate paradox of like, you went through that shit that maybe at a soul level you agreed to. I don't know. And you're still finding a way of making it bigger than you, right? Like making it bigger than you. And especially for people that I've worked with and and friends of mine in my personal life who have experienced sexual trauma and violation. Oh my God. Like the feats of strength required to reclaim your own sexuality. Like that's already massive. And then to be able to reclaim that not only for yourself, but for your daughters and now for your clients, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's really, 
really commendable the way in which you show up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, we've talked about this. It ain't fucking my choice. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and it's, every, it's you know, ever, ever since our conversation about that, you know, whenever people are like, you're so strong, I'm like, I don't like that word. Can yeah. we just choose resilient? Yeah, I know, I, I know. I know. Resilient. I know. Because but, right now I want to be weak. <laughs> yes. But I'm choosing resilient. But do you also get tired of being resilient? <laughs> just like... Come on, guys. Can I just be? I just, just want to be. Just, I I'm in progress. I, honestly, I don't know. Up or down. I feel like that's on the horizon for you. Just that ability to to be. I know you've got a couple challenges to go through, but I feel like that's got to be on the horizon for you. This place of stillness. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel it and I feel, you know, it, the, the idea of stillness is so difficult. Yeah. You know, I've... Um, I was teaching a class. So, you know, I, I also teach at Journey. I'm a life, I'm an instructor to life, future life coaches. Right on. Um, and so the class that I teach is actually on, it's so funny. The class that I teach is on emotional triggers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you have some familiarity with those? <laughs> and coaching presence. <laughs> like I'm just... <laughs> I'm pretty equipped, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess so. Did you put I that right I'm on your resume? <laughs> Holy Lord. <laughs> and so it's funny because like one of the questions that one of the students had was around this idea of stillness. Cause I said, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that, that I always like try to do with my clients is like bring them into a moment of presence mm-hmm. and like stillness, even in the beginning, just so that we can both drop in energetically mm-hmm. and be in the same place. And they're like, well, what if it's really hard for your client to stay still? And I said, you know, it's interesting because for some people, Staying still is really difficult because of their trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to kind of keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I remember saying that, like, I just was like, oh, that's a download from the universe because I haven't fucking said that ever before <laughs> in my life. And then I just was like, oh, this is why it's hard for me to stay still. Yeah. This is why it's really difficult. I've had to run all my life yes. and I've had to build so much greatness for mm-hmm. myself just to rise from the shit. Mm-hmm. And now in this moment, I'm, I'm taking a soul care sabbatical thanks mm-hmm. to our conversation. And I, I think I'm taking it for at least six weeks Awesome. Um, and taking a step back from like building, doing, thinking it's just me being and like mm-hmm. being a mom and being in this transition of a divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also unpacking the, the trauma, uh, the trauma response of having mm-hmm. to do. Yes. And really actively consciously, surrendering to the stillness and let me tell you it's fucking hard it's so hard (laughs) and like I get I get so nerdy about this I'm so excited for you because I know what's on the other side of this I shared recently like it is safe for you to be present in this moment of your life and I shared that for a reason you know there's so much to explore here because I think the pandemic for everybody has brought that like, whoa, what am I afraid of? Like I've been on a hamster wheel or I've been reaching for a ton of drugs or a ton of alcohol or a ton of sex to cover up the void that I have. And so, you know, we stay in terrible relationships because confronting that is too scary. Or we stay in this method uh, or this model of like do, achieve, repeat when it comes to a success, because in the absence of that, it's like, well, who am I without my material success and wealth? Mm -hmm. And so... that uh, I think it's glossed over in this little social media world that we live in. It's just like, you know, just be present. It's like, mm, not so simple because when yeah. every fiber of ne- your neurology has taught you that being still and present is fucking dangerous, right. then it triggers that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response of like, get the hell out of here. Just keep moving. Right. It's like those little, um, I think it's a mouse in Australia. I think it's a kind of rodent, but like they're so busy and they're so frenetic that if they stop, they drop dead. Like their heart rate changes and they drop dead. And that's such a powerful model because I'm like, I watch so many women do this. It's like, do achieve, do achieve, wear the mask, play the role, perform, perform, perform. And it's like, what would happen if you stopped? Well, the Mm -hmm. perception is that if you stop, it's a disaster. And so the work that you're doing of learning how to be safe in the cultivation of that stillness is not only commendable for you as a human, but I think it also like, it's, it's just so commendable in overcoming all of the previous cultural programming that has backed that up, that has taken that neurological safety and then shown you examples consciously or socially that like, no, this is the way that we do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about the like immigrant experience, Oh my God. 
I look back at my mom and as you were saying all those things, like I remember my mom would never take a day off. Yeah. Like she just would not sit. And, and, and I remember seeing that growing up and I was like, I do not want to be her. Yeah. I do not want to be here because she is literally working herself to stress, chronic stress. She is work, overworking herself to the point of just anxiety, depression that she yeah. doesn't want to talk about. She's overworking herself to the point where she has this relationship with my dad that like, I don't, I don't even, I, yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you if there was, there's probably love there, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you if they were ever in love. Yeah. It might be functional. Growing up, I never witnessed that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and so... I remember telling my mom, like, you need to rest. And she was like, I can't rest. There's mm-hmm. like no rest here. And I'm like, oh, she's like, I'll rest when I'm dead. I'm like, oh, that sounds like terrible. <laughs> but I remember finding myself in those moments in my marriage, in my relationship, in my career, in my womanhood. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm becoming my mom. Wow. And I don't want to be that. Yeah. And so in this moment of, of rest and stillness, there are times where I, like, when I wake up from a nap, or when I wake up from sleep, mm-hmm. I start just touching myself with pleasure, yeah. with just like touching my body and touching her softly, yeah. gracefully under the covers, yeah. taking like my linen sheets and kind of rubbing them on mm. my face just because it feels delicious and good. Yeah. And then I'm whispering to my body, yeah. you are safe. Yeah. It's okay to rest. You are yeah. safe. It's okay to rest. Yeah. Just so I can reprogram myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been an interesting week-long experience of that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to like, you know, obviously continue to learn more about how that's gonna unfold and change me. But yeah, it has been um it's been great to slowly start to wake up feeling deserving of it. Yes. Like truly deserving of it. Mm-hmm. And that is a feeling that like I I've had a I've had a long dance with. Mm-hmm. Forever, because mm-hmm. of course, cultural messaging in my household—you're mm-hmm. not allowed to rest. Yeah, you need to do more. And the reason being because you know, if you're immigrants, like doing more, performing more, keeps you from from like rocking the boat. Yeah, it keeps you from looking different. Yeah, you don't want to be the Asian American or the Asian immigrant kid yeah. who looks lazy. Because yeah. guess what? You can be kicked out. Yeah, or you can be discarded. Is pretty much the messaging that I'm pretty sure my parents had in their brains yeah. working super freaking hard for their visa to get over here and doing all the things they need to do to get the citizenship even yeah. though I was born here mm-hmm. and just like all the things I've he- I've heard women of color describe that as like you have to work 10 times harder yeah. than than anybody else like it's really 10 times harder than any white person because like you just have to prove more and it's not even a conscious thing of like oh I have to do this more I have to be more it's like it's ingrained into you like like nope just do it and don't ever get seen as anything other than the hard-working one yeah 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 I mean it's it is the craziest thing I mean also you know what's interesting is as you said that my mom I remember she wouldn't take certain um up-leveling roles in mm-hmm. her work. I mean, she still works jewelry and retail, but she wouldn't take upper management. And I think the reason being is because responsibility, fear of failure, wow. and then also what would it mean? Because then she would have to be, uh, she would, she would, she would be seen. Yeah. She'd yeah. be seen. Which and is dangerous. Potential flaws. Yeah. Could also be seen too. You just need to go right under the radar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also like we, my mom always like said, like never ask for help. Oh man never asked for help. So, I mean, even that, like, I mean, that, that was unpacked for me in 2018 Mm -hmm. where, um, one of my partners, uh, when we was exploring non-monogamy during that Mm -hmm. time had said to me, like, he was offering me help in my business and just like, just different perspective. And I felt like a visceral reaction in my body. And he was like, why don't you like receiving help? I'm like, let me unpack that really quick. And I dated it back to like my mom's story. Yeah. And I just was like, holy shit, this is a physical thing in my body that yeah. I'm feeling. And that's so, that, that, like just that is such a common, dare I say, emotional trigger. That's a trauma response. Yeah. Right. Somebody finally mm-hmm. offers you help when you've become so self-sufficient for your own safety, survival, protection. And then somebody offers you help. It's like, 
it's almost like I can feel it in my body still. It's like you recoil away from it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you can talk it through, but I'll pay you. Right. It's like, uh, let me push that away. Cause the idea, the perception of receiving help from another, I still feel the tightness in my stomach. Cause it's just like, Oh, I can't do that. I can give it and I can over give it and I can over help you totally, totally. but you just can't help me. And I also yeah. can't ask you for this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not drowning. It's okay. No, 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 yeah. no. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not drowning. I'm not suffocating. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Can I do I'll anything else for you? Can I bring you yes. coffee? <laughs> I know. <laughs> While I'm here underneath of all this shit, is there a way that I can serve you? I know. Anything. Because this this yoke on my back is not, I know. it's not happy enough. I know. Not. And it's not going to carry itself. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know. Oh, uh, sorry. Are you offering it? Are you offering help? No. I didn't hear that. That must have been weird. You know, it's just, it's like, it's such a common experience. It's such a common experience. And I can only imagine as a projection of what that is like, again, with this extra layer. And and again, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking to this, but like 2021 in particular, I feel like has really brought out the, like, the risk for Asian Americans. I mean, 2020 did for me. I remember the first time, you know, uh, a year ago when we were all in shelter in place Mm -hmm. And seeing the news of just Asian Americans being um, harassed, yeah. uh, all the racism, yeah. um, I told my ex-husband, "I'm. this is the first time in my life that I'm scared of being <sighs> Asian American. This is the first time in my life I do not want my kids outside. Mm-hmm. This is the first time. And I live in the fucking Bay Area. I know. We are supposed to be really diverse yeah. and super inclusive, mm-hmm. super open. I mean, this is like a tech hub. Yeah, so I know. It's like the mish, the pot of yeah. people that come in here, you would think. And then also, like San Francisco, there's so many Asian American immigrants that came yes. here early on. So it's like this shouldn't even be a thing. This shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. And the fact that it was a thing, and uh. then all the shit that was happening in Oakland, which is like, mm-hmm. I mean, I live in Oakland, so mm-hmm. it's like there was, I think, ten minutes from me is Chinatown. Mm-hmm. It was just like fuck, can I get a break really quick? I know. I know. I mean, just a moment. Is that cool? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, it was, you know, there, I I try really hard not to think about, um, whether or not that threat is coming after me. Yeah. I try really hard, but I remember, you know, hearing the news and seeing the news and (sighs) so many of my, my friend's parents do look like all those Asian American elders that were getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just so sad to me because you hear about it happening in San Jose and that's where I pretty much spent a lot of my upbringing in. I I grew up in San Jose. So it's like all of this shit was so close to home. Yeah. And I just was like, fuck, like this could be my friend's parents Mm -hmm. and their grocery store. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. This could be my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Just another layer Mm -hmm. of of unsafety, right? And then I think, too, the other part of it is, like, how do you speak up? Yeah. Well, and that's really what I I was going to ask you. You know, like, how, how do you personally manage to speak up? How have you found even a certain degree of comfort or safety in speaking up and in being able to speak your truth and, and live in a way that feels very aligned for you amongst the many hardships that have it's taken for you to get to that place. It's interesting because I've gotten that question several different times in my life in different ways and different forms mm-hmm. because, you know, ever since having a public online presence, mm-hmm. a thing that people always ask is like, how, how, how are you so fucking authentic? How mm-hmm. do you like speak your truth so openly? And they're like, holy shit, you mm-hmm. know? And the thing that I was just reflecting on when you were asking me that question is if I don't speak my truth, mm-hmm. a part of me dies. Yeah. Like it is literally in my body where mm-hmm. I feel when I'm not speaking up, there's restriction and constriction. Yeah. And that, that signals to me that I'm not in flow. And yeah. when I'm not in flow, I'm not my best self, yeah. even in that moment. So I've just learned throughout my years of just lived experience and life experience yeah. to speak up as much as I possibly can, because it's important. Because if not, a part of me dies, a part yes. of my spirit just dies. So for you to be you and be in alignment with what you value, 
this is just a part of it. It's using your voice and speaking your truth. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in terms of politically and all the things that was happening and culturally, it's really hard. I remember when George Floyd's death happened, my daughter became very, very vocal about it. Mm -hmm. And it was so difficult because for me, and I wasn't trying to, like, I didn't want to center it on my experience, but the only way that I can help my community understand or other people because I feel like Filipinos happen to be a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, Filipinos are very interesting in, in terms of just our culture and people. Mm-hmm. We're not really quite Asian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're not like, we're not Asian enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're also not brown enough. Mm-hmm. Like we're not, we're not, we're not black, yeah. right? Yeah. But there's a part of us, like if, if you talk to most Filipinos in this, in my generation, there's a part of us that we're like, we love fucking hip hop. Yeah. We're kind of like, we're, we're, we're taught or told that we're like the ghetto versions of the Asians. Like, yeah, cause we're yeah. not like, we're not like the, 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 the typical stereotypical Chinese where we're super smart. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still kind of in this mix of like, we've got some labor with us, yeah. but like we're, yeah, like it's just, we're an interesting, interesting set yeah. of island people. Cause we're islands. Like, yes, I think that's the beauty too. Like we're, we're from the islands, So we can have a lot of intermixed culture. And if you look yes. at us, like, historically, Filipinos happen to be first wave of Afro-Asiatic, who was our people. So like our people are actually from Africa, literally Mm -hmm. a first wave. So anyways, I remember during that entire like year, June, 2020, I I was like in a freeze moment for Mm -hmm. myself. I was like, how do I speak up? Mm -hmm. How do I say anything? Because my entire upbringing was told to not speak up. Yeah. And also uh, being Filipino American, and, and I'm pretty sure some Asian Americans feel this way too, or just, yeah, Asian Americans feel this way too. It's like, you look at racism and it's like, it's not your fight. That's the fight between white and black. Whoa. Don't get involved. Wow. Don't get involved. And then, you know, in addition to that, I remember my parents had their own, their, especially my dad had his own like racism woven up in within him. Yeah. Like, never date a black guy. I was yeah. like, why? Yeah, yeah. Why would you say that to me? Mm-hmm. And And so anyways, yeah, the whole speaking up thing has been really, has been a really interesting thing because I, I'm pretty sure, and again, not trying to speak on behalf of mm-hmm. obviously my community or other communities, but I know it's hard for us to speak up. Mm-hmm. We're not only taught that culturally, we're reinforced that at home. Mm-hmm. And then we're also reinforced that by our Western culture mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And all the other messaging of us not being enough already. So why would our voices be important enough to be heard? Man. So in your own experience, I I like to ask people, you know, how to be a human, but I want to get more... Uh, real and more granular with you. I'm writing a book, a second book called Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging. And for me, that's really, really resonating with everything that you're saying. You know, after your own earned and learned wisdom, how do you find truth and beauty in belonging? Mm, Wow. Um, I'm still trying to understand that fully within myself Mm -hmm. or try to fully embody that truth. Um, but when I think about truth and beauty in, in belonging, you know, I think about, I think about this feeling of like liberation. Mm -hmm. The thing that, that comes to mind is, is the sensation of just like being in the most comforting, silkiest, like adornment. I don't even know what it really looks like. It doesn't necessarily need to be a gown or a robe, but it it just, it just like feels soft yes. on the body yes. Yes. and comforting and like there's just sensation to it it's pleasurable and it mm-hmm. feels warm and just beautiful and soft yes and that to me is this feeling of just surrendering into yourself yes and into the people around you but most importantly into yourself mm-hmm. because I think despite the chaos of anything in the world once you can find belonging in yourself, then you truly belong everywhere. I think that's, I mean, I don't think, I know that's the secret. That's like, yep, clapping. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're never really alone and we're always alone. And so mm-hmm. it's like, instead of running from that or and feeling like we need to run from that, but to be able to really be at peace with belonging to ourselves, 
Mm-hmm. It, like that's why I wear a ring on my, like a gold band on my ring finger. Cause it's like, holy shit, I actually belong to myself and I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable in supporting myself through that. So I, yeah. again, I think it's like really beautiful that you're coming home to that place. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, that belonging to self is very interesting because there is, I think I, I, I want I want to say there's a fine dance mm-hmm. of belonging to yourself and then also being so independent that you don't need others. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's a very fun. To be able to let the boundaries down, but keep them up enough that you get the right people in, but not so high that nobody can climb the wall when they're when they're ready yeah. to come in. Yeah, it's such a dance, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I remember this one beautiful, like my first psychedelic mushroom journey yeah. um, ever. I remember I was like, oh my God, I don't need anybody. Self-love yeah. is the answer to everything. And at the time I was, um, I was in two relationships, one with my ex-husband and one with my now partner, because it was, it was, we were exploring non-monogamy and I was mm-hmm. polyamorous or I am polyamorous or, and in a polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. So complex. <laughs> so com- But you want to talk about how to develop excellent boundaries and communication? Explore, explore non-monogamy. <laughs> ah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. It was such a beautiful experience for another conversation. Um, but yeah, I remember like sitting there and I was like, self-love is the answer. Mm-hmm. And I remember my brain, I was like, but also, also, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't love myself too much that I yeah. don't have my children in mind, yeah. that I don't have my community in mind, that I don't have my partners in mind. I don't mm-hmm. have my lovers in mind. Like there has to be this balance. I'm like, this like I just remember being on that trip and I was like self-love is everything I don't need the boys I don't yeah. need kids and I'm like oh wait gotta bring them back you gotta gotta we're gonna rain that back but you know <laughs> like, like that's what I I argue for that all the time that yeah. every other relationship we have in our life is an extension built on the foundation of the relationship we have with ourselves. So mm-hmm. when we're having like relationship problems, quote unquote, or something doesn't feel in flow, when we rein it back and be like, okay, so where do I feel not in flow or not in alignment with myself? Then I can heal that in a deeper way, which, which I think is ongoing for the record. I don't think it's like you reach that pinnacle, of like, oh, cool, I did it, done. No, mm-hmm. it's like we're constantly mm-hmm. evolving and we're constantly in progress. But taking it back to that place and then watching how it then heals forward in other relationships. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm... In the deepest healing of my life right now, walking away from a 12-year marriage, Mm -hmm. 18-year relationship, one that, you know, I remember the first time I was feeling that, like, gut knowing that this relationship wasn't right for Mm -hmm. me, 2015. And I started telling, you know, family and, and I I mean, even before then, we were having relationship issues or problems, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. I remember like trying to gain help from mm-hmm. family members <laughs> and community and friends. And of course, family was just like, push through it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a hard season it. of your marriage. This is what marriage looks like. This is what marriage looks mm-hmm. like. Just push through mm-hmm. it. And, you know, we would, we, we tried therapy though. We tried therapy for a little bit, even though he was resistant. And I just was like, fuck, like I, inside of me, I was like, I don't want to, I know this is going to go down and mm-hmm. be the same relationship that I witnessed growing up mm-hmm. and I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And because of the cultural messages of just push through it, just keep going yeah. as a woman, like what else do you want? Yeah. What else do you want? Jen? And also like, who are you want? to ask for more? Like this has been good enough for, for everybody else. Who do you think you are that you deserve yeah. better than this? Yeah. It was yeah. like, what else do you want? You have a beautiful nine to five tech career. You have two kids, you have the dog, you live in the Bay area. You have a husband who is, you know, creative and has a photography business. Like what more do you want? This is it. (laughs) it You did it. Like, fuck. Okay. Maybe you're right on paper. I do have it all. Like what, what am I, what's, what's wrong with me? Something's really wrong with me. And I remember trying to fix so many things and I was like, nothing's wrong with me. Yeah. I just wasn't living in my truth. Exactly. And that's, oops, I just went through my laptop across the room. I got so like, <laughs> you're emphatic. like, that's the answer. That's it. I'm like, here. That's I'm gonna, it. Where's my mic? I'm going to drop that too. <laughs> um, that is it. That is it. There's nothing fucking wrong with you. It's that moment of like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. I don't need to be fixed. I'm not in alignment. Or there's something that is unhealed that is out of alignment. That is, it's like it's a super subtle shift in language, but it is a vastly 
more powerful difference in practice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I just, I mean, fuck the pandemic. <laughs> Pandemics is everybody. It 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 slowed me down. Yeah. It was the f- one thing that was able to slow me down. Yeah. And you know, prior to that, I was like, just going, <laughs> that's all going, it took going, a global pandemic. Sorry. It took the world slowing down. Slow down. Say, <laughs> oh, is that what it took? That says a lot too. Okay. <laughs> it didn't take an injury. It didn't take any of those things. Like I swear, Ain't like life no was like, this, this, bitch needs, this bitch needs a huge fucking pause button. Maybe this will work. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, the little thing, the little God, thing. God, is this big enough for you? <laughs> That's what he said. Oh, I know the goddess was like, I'm going to send one big dick down. It's going to be the coronavirus. Have fun with that. Bend over. <laughs> you want to be sexually liberated, Joe? Come on. <laughs> May we recommend our Exa- Excalibur package? <laughs> for you. Fuck. Oh man. Boy, did that like, oh boy, was that something that shook me. And, and in a lot of ways, like I'm trying to so hard unravel from so much shame about the divorce because we launched a podcast in 2020 thinking that like, Hey, we're going to do this creative project. And I I thought like maybe a creative project would be the thing that also helps to continue to sustain us. Totally. Um, and also this would be, Yeah, this would be a great opportunity for us to share all the learning lessons we've learned over the last two years in non-monogamy, in rebuilding our marriage, in trying something different, in reclaiming ourselves. Yeah. And then pouring back into our marriage, even though it was like complex. Yeah. And it was a... It was a beautiful experience, but then I also started to just witness the same patterns that were perpetuating prior to in this new container. And I... You know, I was I wasn't traveling as much. I wasn't mm-hmm. working as much. So I was able to actually see mm-hmm. everything with a little bit more clarity. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is in 2019, I was like, 2020, 2020 is my year. Yes. 2020 is like the year of clear vision because it's 2020. All of so us, all of us of, use that hashtag. 2020 is going to be clarity. I know. Well, careful what you I wish for. I got my clarity. <laughs> you know, I know. I know. Is that clear enough for you? I know, right? It was like. <laughs> You want clarity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And so, you know, it, I, I mean, I, we got into a fight that I just was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not, I, I d- didn't want to be in the same fight again. Mm-hmm. And it was the same fight that we've done before. And I just was like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do it. So I asked them to like leave the house momentarily. And the first conversation we had back a week later after like taking some time apart, I was like, I don't want to be married anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this with you. Mm-hmm anymore. And it's been what, like eight months, nine yeah. months of yeah. like just trudging through that mud. Yeah. yeah. And then also whew, bringing up so many, so many wounds oh, yeah. that I have suppressed and repressed so much like violence and mm-hmm. abuse emotionally, so much gaslighting and mm-hmm. narcissism that I just could not see. Mm-hmm. And was also too afraid to label mm-hmm. because once you label it, it's real. That's the truth. Yeah. And y- your brain can't make you a liar. So it's not possible. Psychologically, it's not possible that I could have been in this 12, 16, 18 year relationship and been violated this whole time. Like that, I can't accept that reality. Then you get to this moment of stillness, which congratulations, by the way, because you actually have come through a period of stillness and it has yeah. been safe for you to do so. Yeah. Um, but like you get to that place of stillness and it's like, oh shit no, this is exactly what's happening. There's that 2020 vision. It's like in hindsight, this is exactly what happened, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's 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 hard because it's mm-hmm. like you kind of dance to the the beauty of it all and you look at the, you know, as, 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 as I'm looking at everything, it's like you look at the performance aspect, you look yes. at the doing <clears throat> aspect, you look at everything that you've accomplished mm-hmm. in that relationship. Mm-hmm. We accomplished a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. And there was a lot of beauty in that. But if I'm truly, truly honest with myself, like deep down inside, I knew from a very long time ago that that was not something for me. And nobody else can ever understand. I feel like 
Nobody else can understand that unless they've been through it necessarily, because nobody knows what happens in a marriage except the people who are in that marriage, period. Mm -hmm. Like, period. That's just the way that it is, Mm -hmm. right? And what feels on or off for you is so unique for you that it's up for nobody else's judgment. And again, it takes a lot of inner resilience to be able to have that conversation with yourself and label it and then take action on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just like walk through the lack of like family support in that because, you know, I mean, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Like nobody's, I'm the first person divorced my family. And nor will they. And it's like, nor will they understand that. So Mm -hmm. again, there's that, let's break this pattern, right? Let's break that pattern of you feeling so isolated or not seen or not supported or that you belong because it's like that's one more pattern or one more way in which that pattern is coming up yeah and it's like I think that you're you're breaking it yeah I mean it's and and, you know it's funny like breaking patterns like it it Mm -hmm. just hurts in the body I know I know (laughs) until it doesn't it's like it's so until it doesn't it's so it's so cruel because it like it hurts and then it's like oh okay I did it you know it's like one more thing that I came through not for the sake of coming through but it's like you never have to do that again yeah, yeah. In, in that, and I think I sent you that podcast a while ago, but like that to me is a, the, a huge or hugely traumatic part of divorce is that it, for a lot of us triggers this like PTSD response, mm-hmm. right? Cause like you go through the, the process of divorce and the process of divorce triggers so many past dramas and it's like, wow, now, like now's the time I got to go through this. Okay. This is going to be and fun. I mean, I'm thinking about it like... <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, <laughs> she told my daughter, I told my daughter last night, I was like, I'm so excited for you to fall in love and get a heartbreak. And she was like, really? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, because think of it, like, think about it this way. Like, think about what mom's going through right now. This yeah. is a really big heartbreak, even yeah. though I'm the one who wanted it. It's still a really, really, really big heartbreak. Mm-hmm. However, I now know that you're going to need a trip to Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. a bunch of girlfriends, <laughs> some chips. ice cream and for a bunch of women to come and celebrate Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. as much as they possibly Mm -hmm. can to help Mm -hmm. lift you up as you rise. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, and maybe there might be some psychedelics in there. Cause at that point you'll probably be old enough. And then we know it's just going to be that whole different relationship. (laughs) It's a brave new world. (laughs) She's 16 at this point. So it's like, I don't foresee her falling in love until a little bit later anyways. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's so hard to also be doing this mm-hmm. during a pandemic when oh, all I, I really want is my girlfriends. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's again, it's really hard. What you're going through is really, really hard. There's no bypassing it. There's, yeah. I'm like, I know you're going to find the beauty in this. And still, right now, it fucking is brutal. And that's yeah. a very real thing. I mean, you know, the beauty in this right now, in this moment, is I'm in the season of dancing with my pleasure and pain. Yeah. Like, there is this, feeling of, um, the, the best way I've had it described to me is if you vision envision like two cups and you're pouring water mm-hmm, in and out mm-hmm, of one cup. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's like a pouring out and then a pouring in simultaneously. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, this is like a heady cocktail. Yeah. Um, but like I'm, I'm pouring out so much of, I like to refer this as like John's wife. Mm. And that old version of me Mm -hmm. and pouring a lot of her out of me so that I could open up into whatever this space is going to be. Mm -hmm. And it feels expansive, but it also feels uh, really, really painful Mm -hmm. because, you know, and I think that's the thing that like a lot of people don't ever really express very Mm -hmm. much or we have this like misunderstanding with just because you're the one or I'm the one who asked for the divorce. Oh, I know. It didn't hurt. I I know. It's being people may resist this, but like, I think being the one to call time of death on a relationship is in many ways, not in all ways, in many ways, more painful because of the resolve it takes to be like, Oh my God, I know you feel that this is broken, but I have to be the one to do this. Okay, here we go. Like there's so much additional pain. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's, it's brutally painful Mm -hmm. because you're the one who sees it for both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're the one who's conscious enough to be like, okay, we're not only just waking the fuck up, but yeah. we're both going to rise. Yeah. Since you can't make that decision, then I'll have to do yeah. it. And no. it just, it's not easy. It's not easy. No. And expansiveness and, is painful, right? Like that oh growing God, outside of any painful. container is it like you're busting through a limit 
it's painful. We watch it happen in nature all the time. It's not pretty. It's not yeah. graceful. It's usually disgusting, deteriorating mm-hmm. experience before it can become like growth and beauty and healed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is like all of it. Like I, th- I think about, you know, me divorcing that marriage is mm-hmm. hopefully also stopping the pain of my mom. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it may not happen right away, but I just... You know, that's obviously the the multi-generational wounding of yes. just the same relationship yes. patterns over and over and over again. Because I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, on the outside, while this relationship looks so fun yeah. and so free, and yes, there were moments that felt really amazing. Mm-hmm. The moments that felt really bad were also on the polar opposite. Yeah. And I just... I was sick and tired of having that Mm -hmm. whiplash. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Yeah. I I think you're just a beautiful human. Like you're beautiful Mm -hmm. on the outside. You are so beautiful on the inside. And I really, really celebrate you being here and speaking so openly that it's going to serve so many people like across Mm -hmm. the actual world in a time when people still feel like the world is standing still. (laughs) In your own words, how do you, how would you describe it? How do you think you'd be a human? Mm. You know, I think being a human is being able to radically accept all the pieces of you. Yes. Dark, light, gray, Mm -hmm. black, white, all the pieces that are misunderstood, all the pieces also that you've yet to understand. I think that's what it means to be human and to also just to be honest, to just try to find pleasure in that. Yes. I mean, there's nothing there. The suffering is all around us. And mm-hmm. so if we can find pleasure in being able to radically accept mm-hmm. all the pieces that we're still unsure of within ourselves, mm-hmm. that's what it means to be human. I love that. I love that. Where can people find you and connect more with you? Mm-hmm. You can find me on my website, gofitjo.com. That's G-O-F-I-T-J-O.com. I'm also on the gram and everything social at gofitjo. And also you can have some messy conversations with me and my wonderful co-host Kristen on our podcast called Nothing Confidential. It's such a good podcast. You guys are just <laughs> like you. the best team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. It's been just a pleasure getting to spend this time with you and I adore you. Thank you. There is no magic formula except knowing that the magic formula is that we are all figuring this out, that there is no real end point. Each and every one of us is in a process of self-creation. What if there is no right way? What if there is no wrong way? What if there's just your way? How freeing would it be to know that every decision you make is the right decision for you? Can you love yourself enough to detach from outcome or from judging that things are good or bad and accepting that they just are? Yeah, you fucking can. (laughs) 